Hey, hey, Lured listeners, welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks Erotica Podcast. This is your favorite sexy librarian, Rose Carraway. Big Daddy is not joining me today. In fact, he is still in bed, probably having sexy dreams about me. That's pretty awesome, right? He doesn't know that I'm in here manning the mic solo, and that's okay. We know how this relationship works. I wanted to drop you guys a Halloween episode. Since Halloween is almost here, I can't believe that October's nearly gone. Uh, It's a full moon last night. It's been so great. The weather is getting chilly. It's boots and scarves and hot chocolate season and sexy, scary story season. Oh my God. That's why I love Halloween. So what I'm going to do today is drop you a little Halloween quickie. I'm going to take a story from our Libidinous Zombie Collection, the audiobook that we published a few years ago that was a smashing hit. Um, It is chock full of sexy, scary, titillating tales that I know you guys will enjoy if you like the darker side of erotica. Oh, it's a collection that I did not want to give any episodes away for free on the show, but... I love you guys and I have missed you and I will do anything for you. So I'm going to give you, and you better say thank you, a libidinous zombie story. So you sit back and enjoy this sexy, sexy, scary tale. in the attic. Malin James. The patient was discovered after her grandmother's death. She'd been locked in the attic for more than 10 years. It was only when a servant asked what should be done with the girl that anyone outside the house became aware of her at all. From the case history of Alice Mulgrave, 1910. From the outside, Holmwood Sanitarium looked like a normal house, an old estate on older grounds, kept in sunny, welcoming order. Inside, however, the building was odd, though not in any way the conscious mind could place. It was too light and tidy to be ominous, and yet, Thanks to the perversity of the original owner, it was not a restful place. Hallways crossed each other like pathways in a maze. It gave Holmwood an air of subtle, layered oppression. This was especially true of the patient wing, which hummed with arterial tension, as if the corridors were springs that were wound too tight. It was this tension that struck Dr. Benjamin Alder the moment he stepped through the door. He'd been hired to consult on a difficult case, one that had been presented in the vaguest of terms. Traumas resulting in multiple personalities, the extent of which are unknown. As a newly trained specialist, his interest had been piqued, so much so that he wished to meet his patient as soon as he arrived, which is why he found himself lost in the whitewashed halls until an orderly came to fetch him. Have you worked here long? Alder asked the orderly, an expressionless man named McGuire. 
Alder was not a talkative man, but there was something about the corridors that made him want to speak. Long enough, McGuire said. Alder waited for him to continue, but when nothing more was said, he let the matter drop. Here you are, doctor, the orderly said, stopping before a door set slightly apart from the others. Alice Mulgrave. Alder nodded. McGuire hesitated with the key. Is something wrong? McGuire shook his head, but the motion seemed forced, as if his body wanted to nod. Finally, with a shrug, he opened the door, revealing a large, dim room. Knock twice when you're ready. I'll wait here for you. Thank you, McGuire. Alder checked for his notebook and pen and stepped into the room. The door shut behind him without another word. Given what he'd seen of Holmwood, he'd expected the hospital-style quarters standard to modern institutions, but Alice Mulgrave's room was nothing like that. In fact, it was so gloomy and cluttered with lost-looking items that it could have been Holmwood's attic. Alder frowned. Miss Mulgrave? Alder scanned the room, turning just as a figure emerged from an old leather chair. Hello, said a shy, childlike voice. I'm Alice. Miss Mulgrave isn't here. Alder tried not to stare. A beautiful woman stood before him, but despite the curve of her figure, she was dressed as a little girl, complete with pinafore and braids. A shiver ran up his spine. Hello, he said, collecting himself. Alice Mulgrave bobbed a careful curtsy, like a girl trying to do it precisely as taught. The vulnerability of the gesture was so profound that he could barely meet her eyes, as if he were seeing something forbidden, her every wound displayed. But that was his job, Alder reminded himself, to assess her wounds and heal them wherever he could. It's a pleasure to meet you, Alice, he said, bowing in response to her curtsy. I am Dr. Alder. I'll be taking over your case. Alice stepped back. Only then did he notice the doll she had clutched to her chest. I don't like doctors, she whispered. The other one was bad. Alder frowned. The other one? Which other one? The other one, she said, louder this time. Dr. Sever. Dr. Sever, Alder murmured, trying to place the name. Do you mean my predecessor, Dr. Severson? Yes, Alice stepped back again. Yes, he was bad. How? How was he bad? Alice shook her head and stumbled over the rug. The doll dropped, and she started to cry. It's all right, Alder said, bending slowly to pick it up. It was a little brunette thing, smaller version of herself. It's all right. Severson is no longer here. Alder watched her, a grown woman crying in a little girl's dress, and felt a twist of disgust, not for the patient, but for the treatment she must have received to fill her with such fear. It's all right, Alice. I'm here to help, he said, soothing her with his voice. You will have to learn to trust me. Alice shook her head. It's all right, he said, offering her the doll. But I will have to earn your trust. What do you say? Shall we try? Her fingers trembled as she took the doll, 
Her eyes were so clear that he saw the slight shift when she cautiously changed her mind. Yes, she said, smiling, tentative and sweet. Yes, all right, I will try. Alder paused, charmed by her transparency. A clock chimed in the gloom, and he checked his watch. He would have liked to continue, but it was clear that damage had been done, damage that was his to undo. They would have to take their time. I will leave you for now, he said, tucking the watch away. We shall make a proper start tomorrow. What do you say? All right, she said, curtsying again. Perhaps you will meet Miss Mulgrave then. I think you will like her. Most people do. A shadow passed over her face, and he wondered, not for the first time, about his patients' other selves. I will be happy to meet Miss Mulgrave, he said, and to see you again, too. Her fragile face brightened like a filament in a bulb. Until then, Dr. Alder. Until then, Alice, he said, knocking twice on the door. Alder stretched and lit a cigarette, unable to settle. He had smoked more than usual since arriving at Holmwood, but the action soothed him as little else did. He felt dull and anxious, unsettled by his patient and lulled by Severson's notes. Alice Mulgrave had arrived at Holmwood 18 months before, and in that time, Severson had recorded everything in such clinical detail that Alder questioned how much time he could have spent with his patient, as opposed to writing about her. And yet, in all that he'd read so far, he'd found nothing to explain her obvious fear. Alder turned the page, prepared for more minutiae, but sat up when a passage caught his eye. Patient shows signs of nymphomania with pronounced tendencies toward sexual self-abuse, appears to enjoy being caught, a most intriguing development. Alder frowned, not at the idea of a mental patient pleasuring herself, but at Severson's tone, a most intriguing development. His notes up to that point had been so mechanical that an automaton could have written them, but this one implied a level of personal interest that did not sit well with Alder. He was about to continue reading when there came a knock at the door. Before Alder could respond, it opened, admitting the man who had hired him. Welcome, Dr. Alder. Settling in? Dr. George Carver entered, leaning on his cane and smiling like a benevolent uncle. He had the air of a man well settled in life, with little, if anything, to prove. Alder rose quickly and drew out a second chair. Yes, Alder said, resuming his seat. I'm settling in quite well. I met with my patient this morning. Very intriguing case. Excellent, Carver said. You don't waste time. Her family is anxious to see her well. I can imagine, Alder said, unsure of how to go on. What is it, Dr. Alder? Carver asked, inquiring so kindly that Alder felt calm for the first time since he'd arrived. If I may ask, he replied cautiously, did anything inappropriate happen with my predecessor? The patient's reaction was quite intense. Ah, Dr. Severson, 
Carver said. His smile faded, though his face looked no less benign for its loss. I believe that will become clear as you read through his notes. It is full of unpleasant details. Unpleasant details? What do you mean? What I mean, Carver said, clearing his throat, is that it reflects Dr. Severson's mental decline far more than it does Alice Mulgrave's. Carver paused, weighing his words like stones in a bag. When he finally spoke, he looked older, as if the gray of his suit had leached into his skin. To be honest, Dr. Alder, what happened was a shock. Severson was a seasoned clinician, objective, brilliant, and entirely trustworthy. Unfortunately, he developed an overly personal interest in this patient. What sort of personal interest? The sort that leads to obsession, Carver said. A fatal one in this case. I'm afraid he committed suicide before we could intercede. Suicide, Alder repeated. He had expected misconduct. Madness was something else. Yes, Carver sighed. It's all in the file. Normally, I would have expunged his notes from her record, but time is of the essence. Her family is anxious for progress. Perhaps you will find something of use in them. Why the hurry? Alder asked. Surely they appreciate that a case like this takes time. One would hope, Carver said, but they are Homewood's primary patron. We cannot afford to disappoint them any more than we already have, which is why I'm so relieved that you agreed to consult. This case needs a young, creative mind. I know you will succeed where Severson did not. Carver rose and held out his hand. Alder took it, surprised at the strength behind his papery skin. Thank you, Dr. Carver. I will do my best. I have no doubt you will. That night, Alder dreamed he was lost in Holmwood's halls, searching for something he could not place. He awoke aroused and disturbed, sweating in his bed. Unable to fall back asleep, he spent the rest of the night reading through Severson's notes, which were troubling enough on their own. Though they yielded some insights, the wisdom was threaded through ruminations on the allure of Alice's innocence and depravities involving the other persona's hair. And yet, within the filth and perversity lay a tenor of fear, with demons and monsters underpinning the whole. Thankfully, Alder discovered enough of value to devise an approach, though the task left him disturbed. Just as he had the day before, McGuire escorted Alice back to his patient's attic, which he now knew to be a concession to her years of confinement. This time, rather than dim, dusty silence, he was met by the sound of breathing, as if someone were exerting themselves but trying to do so quietly. Assuming it was Alice, he looked at the wingback chair but did not see the nervous, open face he expected. What he saw was the graceful curve of a throat, exposed by the parted collar of a dark, high-necked gown. The woman's body was arched so that at first he thought she was having some sort of seizure. Then his gaze traveled down her tense frame 
to the spread of her legs and the hand that worked rhythmically beneath her gown. Alder froze as her breathing hitched, no longer quiet, but striving and broken by throaty, frustrated moans. Patients show signs of nymphomania with pronounced tendencies toward sexual self-abuse. He'd seen those words the day before, written in crabbed, fading ink, but he remembered them like a slap as he felt his body respond. It was only when his cock bulged against his trousers that he realized how compromised he was. Alice, he said, as she writhed on the chair, Miss Mulgrave, you must stop. You are agitating yourself. Dark eyes flew open and locked on his. Alder stepped back, shocked by the look on her face. It was full of rapacious promise, like a wolf scenting prey. But the impression didn't last. He'd barely absorbed it when it was papered over by a rueful smile. Then she flipped down her skirt and stood to greet him, calm and self-possessed. You must be Dr. Alder. Alice has told me about you. I'm Miss Mulgrave. Instead of curtsying, as Alice had, Miss Mulgrave extended her hand. Alder froze and stared at her fingers, which glistened with the juices of where they had been. Seeing his discomfort, she snatched her hand away. Forgive me, she said. One forgets. Then she slid her fingers into her mouth and sucked them clean, smiling calmly as she did. Alder swallowed, reacting as much to her calm as to the sight of her working her fingers with brutal, sensual force. When she was finally satisfied, she offered him her hand again. Alder took it gingerly with his. Um, yes, I'm Dr. Alder. A pleasure to meet you, Miss Mulgrave. Are you prepared for our first session? Of course, she replied briskly. Thank you for taking me on. I understand that my condition is fairly severe. Your condition, he stammered, remembering the way her hand had moved between her legs. Miss Mulgrave smiled like a governess confronted with a slightly slow student. Yes, she explained patiently. My condition. The coexistence of Alice and myself. Too many years spent alone, I suspect. It used to be a comfort, but now she and I do not always agree. How so? Alder asked. On what do you disagree? Alder pulled out his notebook and pen while Miss Mulgrave sat primly on the edge of the chair she had just been sprawled in. Many things, she said, but leaving this room is the largest issue. One of you wants to leave and the other does not? Miss Mulgrave arched a brow. Quite, she said dryly. Alice wants to chase butterflies. She longs for freedom. She thinks the world is safe. She doesn't understand that there are other ways to be free. Such as, he asked. Confinement, she said, staring past him. Safety. There is freedom and safety if one knows how to look. How did you learn this? he asked. Oh, she murmured, one learns. Perhaps, said Alder, after a pause, we should start from the beginning. 
What is the first thing you remember, Miss Mulgrave? Hands, she said, drifting inward. No, scissors. Big iron shears. When my grandmother cut off my hair. Why did she cut off your hair? She turned very slowly and looked at him. A feral quality had sharpened her face, and Alder was reminded, uncomfortably, of a tiger in a zoo. Instinctively, he looked away. When he looked back, there was only sadness on her face. I deserved it, Dr. Alder, she said. I am a wicked, wicked thing. My grandmother, Dr. Severson, they both said so. Perhaps one day you will too. I am not Dr. Severson, he said. She smiled, but said nothing more. Alder met with his patient every day, sometimes speaking with Alice, sometimes Miss Mulgrave, but never both in one session. As the weeks passed, he grew to know both halves of her well, so well that he could almost predict their behavior. And yet, despite Severson's notes to the contrary, he never saw signs of nymphomania again. In fact, as the treatment progressed, it was Alder who struggled with sexual desires far more than his patient did. It all stemmed from the dreams, which had continued since that first night. What had begun as a restlessness, easily explained by his arrival in a new place, had become something darker and far more disturbing. The dreams that plagued him now were filthy, ragged things full of glistening fingertips and parted legs. He often awoke with his cock in his hand, unable to fall back asleep. He spent many nights poring over Severson's notes, looking for hints of his patient in the wanton stranger they portrayed. Three months into his patient's treatment, Alder found it increasingly difficult to separate his sleeping and waking states. And yet, despite his difficulties, she continued to make excellent progress, so much so that he decided it was time to help her leave the room. Alice, he said one morning, how would you like an adventure? Alice, who'd been braiding and unbraiding her doll's hair, sat up, happy and alert. What sort of adventure? she asked. Alder smiled like a father hiding sweets behind his back. I thought we might go to the conservatory. The flowers are in bloom. Alice jumped up. Her doll dropped to the floor. Oh, yes, Dr. Alder, please. Do you think Miss Mulgrave will... Suddenly, Alice stopped speaking. She sighed as her face drained of all expression. Then she collapsed, eyes open, back into the chair. Alarmed, Alder rushed to her, stumbling over the doll as he did. He heard a crunch as his heel crushed one of its porcelain hands, but he ignored it and knelt by her side. Alice, he said, Alice, are you all right? Another sigh, slightly lower this time. Alder flushed in response to the sound, but before he could think about why that might be, her vacant eyes filled with the presence of his patient's other self. Miss... Miss Mulgrave? Alder said, hesitating over her name. Yes, 
Dr. Alder, I'm here. Her lips parted. His gaze dropped to her mouth, drawn to its sweet interior. Unaware of his preoccupation, she unbraided her hair, fingers moving swiftly, mechanically, as if out of habit. Suddenly, she looked down at her pinafore. Her hands fell limp in her lap. I apologize, she said, not meeting his eyes. No one has ever seen. I don't know what to say. She blushed, unusually flustered. Alder leaned in, thinking to reassure her, and saw that his knee was pressed firmly between her legs. His cock, which had been semi-erect all day, immediately grew hard. He stood and quickly turned away. Do you mean, he asked, clearing his throat, that Dr. Severson never saw you change? No, she said, with a vehemence that made him turn around. Her eyes softened when they met his. No, you are the only one. Alder's cock began to throb as she looked up at him, tapered fingers combing through her hair. It streamed down her back in ribbons, drifting and soft, reminding Alder of a mermaid in a pool. You may trust me, Miss Mulgrave. I only want to help. I know, she said. You will. That night, Alder dreamed of dark, drifting hair and wet, secret flesh, aching, swollen dreams in which both halves of his patient were pleasuring him at once. Miss Mulgrave with an arch, insistent passion, and Alice with her small, sweet mouth. Alder woke up, more aroused than he'd ever been. Sweat dripped down his skin, and he shivered. He felt as if something were coaxing him, willing him out of bed, like fingertips in the dark. Still half asleep, he rose and threw on his clothes. Then he wandered through the halls, restless and searching, until he found himself outside his patient's door. Convinced he was still dreaming, he dropped to his knees and peered through the gaping lock. A figure surrounded by dark, swaying hair stood before the window, bathed in moonlight. She tipped her head to one side, like a cat listening to songbirds. Then, very slowly, she slipped her nightdress off, stretching languorously as she did, and he watched, breath held, unconsciously touching his cock as the gown pooled at her feet. She moved coyly, as if for a lover, hips heavy with an energy he could practically taste. Alder cupped himself through his trousers, barely breathing. As she placed her hands on the casement and bent at the waist, arching her back to better display the darkness between her legs. In the hallway, Alder leaned against the door, but froze as she looked over her shoulder with a dreadful sort of awareness. He blinked, half convinced she could see him. Then she smiled and began to frig herself, rolling her hips as if she were doing it for him. Alder unbuttoned his trousers enough to pull out his cock. 
Then he licked his palm and stroked himself, matching his movements to hers. In that moment, she ceased to be his patient and became, quite simply, his. Alder bit back a moan, heedless of the fact that he could be seen from both ends of the hall. He imagined filling her with his seed and then fucking her while their wetness dripped between her legs. The thought was so filthy and foreign to him that it only aroused him more. Alder braced himself and thrust harder, half mad with needing to fuck. Through the keyhole, he could see her hips jerk as her hair streamed around her, tendrils caressing skin. With a frustrated moan, she dropped to her knees and spread her legs wide, opening herself for him. Alder watched, mesmerized, as she plunged her fingers into her cunt. Only gradually did he become aware of footsteps in the halls. Filthy pleasure as he imagined being caught with his cock in his hand. The shame of it was delicious. It filled his veins and mouth and mind as the footsteps grew louder, daring him to stop. But he couldn't. He couldn't stop. He wanted to be caught. Suddenly, Alder came, baring his teeth as he coated her door with thick ropes of cum. Beyond the keyhole, she spread her legs and bucked against her hand, and still the footsteps grew louder somewhere in the halls. An inch of awareness reclaimed him, and the notion of being found took on a foul, metallic edge. Alder began to rise. Ben. He stopped. Oh my God, Ben. The sound of his name, rough and bent with pleasure, pulled him like a thread. Though it should have been impossible, his cock began to stir, and he nearly knelt again. But the footsteps were loud and threatening now, every step a ruin. He'd be ruined if he were found. God, Ben, please. Alder tore himself away and ran down the hall. But even as he fled, her voice followed him, as did the sight of her body, surrounded by writhing hair. The next day, Alder awoke, convinced it had all been a dream. And yet, the memory made him sick. Even as he rose from his sweat-stained bed, the ache of arousal hounded him like a cancer in his bones. He could no longer ignore the warning in Severson's notes and the knowledge that he was treading a similar path. He resolved to resign the case. He could no longer help her, not as he wished, but rather than relieve him, the decision to leave left a gnawing hole. As unsettled by this as everything else, he sent a note to Carver, informing him of his decision. By the time he left his study, he both longed for and dreaded his final session. Dr. Alder, Alice exclaimed the moment he entered. You've been very naughty. Naughty, Alder said, suppressing an ugly thrill. Why, whatever do you mean? You broke Dolly, she said, holding out her doll's shattered stump. Oh, yes, he stammered, uncomfortably relieved. 
We shall have to try to fix her. She looked at him with clear, dark eyes, eyes that understood far more than he was accustomed to expecting. The hand is gone, Dr. Alder, she said. The damage is done. Alder came closer and looked at the little stump. Sharp edges from where his heel had crushed it lay exposed within the cuff. Unsure of what else to do, he wrapped his handkerchief around it, as if to staunch a wound. I am sorry, Alice. I will speak to Dr. Carver about replacing her before I leave. Oh, Dr. Alder, thank you, she cried, dancing from foot to foot. Wait, what do you mean, before you leave? Alder looked at her small, worried face and wanted to swallow the words. Alice, he said, with difficulty. I am afraid that I must relinquish your case. I am sorry to tell you like this. No, Dr. Alder, no! Alice ran to him and threw her arms around his neck. To his horror, Alder's cock thickened as surely as if she'd touched it. It's just a doll, she cried, unaware of her effect. Please don't go. It was an accident. Please, you don't have to leave. Suddenly, her eyes rolled back in her head, and she stiffened in his arms. Alder held her, pulse pounding as he recognized the symptoms of her change. Miss Mulgrave, he said, holding his breath. Her eyelids fluttered, and she sighed. Dr. Alder, please don't go. They stared at each other in the dim attic space as the silence between them deepened. I, I have to he replied. Rather than respond, she closed her eyes and tipped her face up to his. Kissing her felt like the culmination of every erotic desire Alder had ever had. She tasted of moonlight and silver pools, pure and snowy, with a cold, chilling sweetness beneath. He did not notice that her tongue sought his with an assurance that she should not have. Miss Mulgrave, he said, we can't. It was an honest attempt at decency, one he undermined by pressing his swelling erection into the cleft between her legs. I dreamed of you, she said, licking the skin above his collar. He shivered beneath her rough tongue. The things I've done while I think of you. Her words went straight to his groin as he remembered her throaty voice filling the hall with his name. Still, he tried half-heartedly, dishonestly, to resist. What about Alice? Alice is not here. I am not good for you. You are very good for me, Ben. Moving quickly, as if to keep from breaking the spell, Miss Mulgrave unbraided her hair so that it fell in heavy ripples down the curve of her back. Then she lifted Alice's pinafore, revealing a body that was as familiar to him as his own, rich, swelling hips, sharp little nipples, and the glorious length of her hair, drifting around her body like a spill of living silk. Alder's good intentions left him the moment he saw her, naked as she'd been the night before. He no longer cared about helping her or professional disgrace. 
he willingly severed those ties to himself, as if the instinct that had driven him the night before was all he truly was. Alder picked her up, tangling himself in her hair as he laid her down on the floor, leaving her just long enough to tear away his clothes. The air in her attic was cool against his skin, but she was hot beneath him. She spread open her legs and arched her back, inviting him into her silky cunt. The hot, wet reality after months of tortured dreams overwhelmed Alder, and he entered her hard. He was so caught in the pulse of her body that he did not see the anticipation that tightened her face. Suddenly, she hooked her leg around his and flipped him onto his back. He was surprised, but not displeased, as he palmed her dusky breasts. A look of sly pleasure slid over her. Then her eyes rolled into the back of her head, and Alder's stomach clutched. Alice, he breathed, wanting the change, wanting both halves at once. But when she looked at him, her face was not the girl's, nor was it Miss Mulgrave's. It was colder and sharper and more beautiful than before. And it was surrounded by a mass of writhing black hair. I told you, Dr. Alder, Alice is not here. Alder shuddered as hair snaked around his body like a mass of clinging vines, stroking and petting him, light as fingertips. Repulsed, he jerked away and tried to shove her off, but she rode him through the struggle, smiling through slightly pointed teeth. Suddenly, Alder had the horrifying realization that he was missing something crucial, something he would only understand when it was too late. It should have been enough to kill his arousal, but the link between his mind and body had been cut. Despite the soak of adrenaline and his instinct to fight, he could not stop fucking her. Let me go, he said, trying to sit up. Let me go, she sneered as something yanked him back. You said you wanted to help, sweet man. This is how you help. Alder's brain screamed at his body to stop, but he continued to thrust mechanically, horribly, against his will as she rode him with a ferocity that bordered on feeding. He looked up at her, at the pull of skin tight against her cheeks and the cruel twist of her mouth, and all around her hair writhing and shifting like snakes in a pit. Medusa, demon, beautiful monster. Here was the monster of Severson's notes. What are you? Alder cried. The thing on top of him laughed like pretty silver bells. Her laughter held his death. Alder knew it. He sensed it. And still he shook his head like a child trying not to hear. Always that question, she said, whispering in his ear. Her sweet breath lulled him, and he sought out her mouth, unable to resist. But the taste on her tongue was like blood, blood beneath cold snow. 
He panicked and slapped at her with a sudden surge of strength. But she laughed and fucked him harder as her cunt throbbed like a pulse around his cock. Alder wrenched and thrust as his arms were pinned to the floor, not by her hands, but with her hair, thick strands encircling his wrists and wrapping around his neck. With a burst of desperation, he tried to shake them loose, but the tendrils had grown to unnatural lengths. They slithered and wrapped around his neck until they dug into his pulse. Miss Mulgrave, he gasped, please. She cocked her head, all sinew and grace, as her body sucked him in so deep he feared she would swallow him whole. Miss Mulgrave is not here either, she said. I'm Alice Holmwood. It's a pleasure to meet you, doctor. Alder's eyes bugged as she rose suddenly to her knees. Desperate and disconnected, his body pumped harder, striving to fill her, even as the pressure increased around his neck. And all the while, she watched him, eyes burning bright, before she sank down once again, moving her hips in long, grinding pulls. Tears spilled down his cheeks as she milked him. Alder closed his eyes, shuddering as she tenderly licked them up. Dimly, as if through a filter, he felt the pulse of her muscles change. Focused, striving, no longer playing, as the hair he had dreamed of strangled him. And still he kept thrusting into her dark, wet depths. Alder thrashed, heavy-limbed and sickened by the climax he could not stop. The pressure on his wrists and neck sharpened, bones cracked and airways collapsed as the pressure swelled within him. Finally, he came, gasping for air that would never reach his lungs. His lips numbed and his vision dimmed, and he knew he was pouring his life into her greedy, sucking cunt. She moaned and convulsed, crying out her climax, even as he fell still. The last thing Alder saw was a little girl's smile on her cold, carnivorous face. Alice Holmwood continued to rock as her body extracted the last of what Benjamin Alder had to offer. Then she bundled her hair up on her head and knocked twice on the door. Dr. Carver opened it. His eyes did not rest on her nakedness, but went straight to Alder's corpse. Smiling kindly, he took out a notebook and pen. And how did that make you feel? All right. 
right, you guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. That was a very special story from our Libidinous Zombie Collection. If you want the entire collection, please do drop by Amazon and search Rose Caraway, or you can search Libidinous Zombie in Audible, iTunes, or in Amazon. And happy Halloween, you guys. We love you, and we'll see you soon. Bye. The KMQ would like to thank the following musical artists, Kevin Hartnell, Roz Call, and Kai Engel. Stupid fish.